have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have Bibles for you. So you can slip your hand up and we'll get one to you right now. Um, that's your gift from us. You can take that home. That's yours. Um, but what we're going to be looking at is, um, is a continuation of, of kind of a story that, that I was able to preach on back in, I don't know, August or whatever it was, September, I can't remember. Um, so let me just kind of catch us up to that point so that it all makes sense. Basically, the book of Acts starts out with Jesus. It's all about Jesus, just like every other book of the Bible. And um, Jesus has, we've read through the Gospels, He has come to earth, He's lived His life on this earth, a sinless life, and He was arrested and tried, and even though He was innocent, He was convicted, and, and they crucified Him, an innocent man, and they buried Him, and three days later, He rose from the dead, and He walked on this earth for 40 days, and He ascends into heaven. In the very beginning of the book of Acts. But before he leaves, he tells everybody, he says, Hey, you guys stay in town until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so that you will be empowered to go and be my witnesses all over the world. So they do that. And then we find out in the second chapter of Acts that the Holy Spirit falls on the church. It's just this incredible event. They're emboldened, they're empowered, they go out, they preach the good news of Jesus to everyone. People start believing in Jesus. The world is changing radically because of the good news of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is working through followers of Jesus. And so then the rest of the book, the book of Acts, is the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the followers of Jesus, the church. And as this happens, new churches are planted all over the place. And um, so church planting begins, and that's what we are still doing today. The book of Acts is just the beginning of the story of, of this whole thing we call Christianity, and this whole thing we call the church. The church is not an event that you come to. It's not, it's not something that you do on Sundays. The church is the people of God. And so we, we try to very intentionally call this a gathering instead of calling this church because it's confusing to call this church, um, it's, this is the gathering of the church. We are the church. The church is the family of God. So we, we use that kind of language to make that clear. So, so here we are in chapter 9. In chapter 9, you have this guy named Saul who's, who, who hates Jesus. And he hates his followers. And he's going around. He's arresting people who follow Jesus. He's throwing them in prison. And he's even watching over their executions. He's, he's there when a man named Stephen is stoned to death and proves of it. And so Saul is not, not a great guy. He's, he's not a fan of Jesus. And he's on his way to arrest more followers of Jesus when Jesus steps in. And Jesus um, appears to him on the road to, on this road that he's on to Damascus. And he comes in this blinding light. Saul is actually blind for three days before God gives him his sight back. But he is he he stands in front of him and he says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? What, why are you doing this? And so Saul has this incredible encounter with Jesus and this encounter with Jesus changes Saul radically. 
And you might have heard of a man named Paul. Well, that is Saul, and his name gets changed in, in this book, in the book of Acts. So we're going to see that. So Paul writes um, most of the books of the New Testament. He's a pretty incredible man of God. But before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was not a very good man. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at what happens in his life as a result of an encounter with Jesus. And the reason that's important, the reason that matters to us, is because if you say that you're a Christian, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus, then what you're saying is you too have had an encounter with Jesus. You're saying, I've heard the good news about Jesus, I've believed it, I have put my trust, my confidence in Jesus, and you are saying you've had an encounter with Jesus. And so... The, the, the changes that took place in Saul's life should also be taking place in our life. So we're going to look at a few of those. I'm not sure. Hopefully you guys got a handout. If you didn't, no big deal. But if you got a handout when you came in the door, I'm going to have some fill in the blanks. And, um, and if you're studious type and you like to take notes, you can do that. Um, all right, let me read the passage for the day, and, and, then, um, and then we'll dig into it. My throat is hurting, so. All right, Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 30. It says, For some days he, talking about Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God, because he had been going around saying that he wasn't. Right? He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul, increasing all the more in strength, and confounded, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So the city had, a, had walls around it, and you had to leave or enter through gates. So they said, well, he's not getting out of the city without us knowing it. We're going to kill him when we find him. So they waited at the gates. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, the followers of Jesus that were there. And, when, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, several things happening here. And what we see is that this man, Saul, has become very different. And he's become very different because of this encounter that he's had with Jesus. The first thing that we see is that because he encountered Jesus, his life became all about Jesus. 
If you have the little bulletin and you are taking notes, that's our first fill in the blank. His life became all about Jesus. It says immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Verse 20. As soon as Saul encounters Jesus, he starts proclaiming Jesus. And this is very interesting because what he didn't do, he didn't just go back to life as usual. He didn't just say, well, I guess I do need to quit throwing Christians in prison and, you know, go back home. He didn't do that. He didn't just stop the evil that he was doing, but he also began new works that were good. What he did was he went and he started proclaiming Jesus. And I find this really interesting wording. He proclaimed Jesus. He preached Jesus. In Valleytown, we like to say that we're all about Jesus. Because this book is literally, from beginning to end, all about Jesus. Yes, the Old Testament is all about Jesus too. It's all foreshadowing, predicting the coming Messiah, Jesus. So, we like to say, we are all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes lives. He changes us from the inside out. What Saul did not do is he did not go into the synagogue and say, all right, here's how you can live a moral life. Here are five steps to being a better person. He didn't go and preach morality. He didn't go and give them a new law to live by. He went and he proclaimed Jesus. And this is very different. It has very different results. There are people who believe that, that you should be a moral person. That, that you should not hurt others. Or maybe even that you should live by the basic moral standard of the Bible. And so I would call them a moralist. So they, they think that morality matters. And then there are people who, who believe in God. Not much more than that. They just say, yeah, I believe in God. I would call them a deist. They just believe in God. Maybe, maybe you've, you've heard that phrase from some people. Yeah, I believe in God. It doesn't go much past that. A lot of people who think that they're Christians are actually just moralistic deists. They believe that morality matters. They believe that you should try to live a good life. And they believe in God. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is centered on and is all about Jesus. And so you can live and try and live a moral life. You can actually hear teachings that will help you sort of change your behavior. Moralistic teachings. That helps you kind of change your behavior, but it doesn't change you inwardly. See, you could listen to Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever, you know, whatever is out there and, and get a little life advice. You, you could become a more moral person, but it not change you inwardly. We call that kind of change behavior modification. You just get better at doing life. But the change that Jesus offers is eternal life. It is new life from the inside. And that changes your behavior as well, but it's a different kind of change. It's a change that starts at the core of who you are. And so what Saul does is he goes and he proclaims Jesus. 
He doesn't go and say, here's how you can be a more moral person. So most of you probably know moralistic deists. People who would say, yes, you should live a moral life. And yes, I believe in God. Maybe you're married to that person. Maybe this is you. And what I want to say very clearly is that that is not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that your confidence and your trust is in Jesus. And so your life flows out of his life. Your life is about Jesus. And he is at work in you, changing you consistently. That is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus didn't come just to change our eternal destination. He came to give us eternal life beginning now. Which means it's a relationship with Him that starts right now. That's what Jesus is talking about when He says, Hey, I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within grasp. You can join right now and start to live life and interact with God in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is among you. It is all around you. I mean, this is what Jesus was teaching. Not... I've just come to forgive your sins and then one day you'll go to heaven as a result. No. He says, I'm offering a new life. I've come to give you real life. Life abundant. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is your life is absorbed with and all about Jesus. And so this happens to Saul. His life becomes all about Jesus. And so what he proclaims is Jesus goes into the synagogues and he says, you guys, he really is the son of God. I know that I've been saying otherwise. I know I've been throwing people in prison, but he really is the son of God. So he is proclaiming Jesus. And that is very different from moralism. Does that make sense? I mean, so our behavior will change. I mean, that's to be sure. Our behavior changes because Jesus in us changes us. And that's why it's very different from just moralism. So, the second thing is that because he encountered Jesus, Jesus radically changed his life. I mean, Saul now is a totally different person. It says in verse 21, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? So what they're saying is, this is amazing. This guy is completely different. He's the one who was throwing people in prison. He's the one who was there when Stephen was stoned. And now he is preaching Jesus? So their amazement came because his life was totally, radically different. Imagine if he had gotten up there and, and he's preaching Jesus, but he's still throwing followers of Jesus in prison. Would he have gained a, a hearing from them? I mean, would they have listened to him for more than a minute? If he, if he hadn't changed the way that he was living, they wouldn't have listened to him. But he completely changed what he was doing. If you want to have... If you want to have the ear of those who are in your life, if you want to tell people about Jesus, then Jesus needs to radically change you from the inside. 
You won't have a stage, a platform to stand on as you try and proclaim Christ if your life hasn't been radically changed. But see, Jesus wants to come and radically change you. And when he does, people will watch amazed. They will stand amazed. And they'll go, are you even the same person? And when they see that you're, you're not, you're not the same person, then they will go, okay, your message must have power because it's changed you. But if, if we aren't changed and we try and proclaim Jesus, then, then people go, really, do I, do I really need that good news if it isn't changing you? So Saul, he's a, he's a radically different person. He's, he's, his life has been changed. So what about you? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And if so, is your life radically different because of that? I mean, just stop and think. Think about who you are now. Is, is, is it different? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? Imagine that I came in here 10, 20 minutes late and I'm breathing heavy and I come walking up to and I go, you know, sorry I'm late. On my way here, I got a flat tire in town and I pulled over in front of Bartleby's to change my tire and a semi came through and hit me. And so, that's why I'm late. You would go, sorry, but there's no way we, we can believe that. Right? And I, and I would say, well, why not? And you, could, you would say to me, well, there's no way that a person can have an encounter with something as big and as powerful as a semi and walk away from that unchanged. There's no way. Well, in the same way I would say to you, how can a person have an encounter with the king of the universe, the most powerful being, the God-man Jesus, and not be changed? It's not possible. It is not possible. And so, if you would say that you have had an encounter with Jesus, but your life isn't changed, then I would, I would ask you a question that question that really don't don't just shrug that off i mean spend some time thinking about that are you being changed from the inside in other words are your desires changing not i'm not talking about behavior modification i'm talking about real change that starts in the heart are your desires changing a person simply cannot have a real encounter with Jesus and walk away from that unchanged. The next thing I want to point out is that because he had encountered Jesus, Saul grew in his walk with Jesus. He grew. It says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He increased all the more in strength. He was growing. He was growing in his maturity as a follower of Jesus. And here 
At Valleytown, we say that our mission is to make disciples. In other words, we want to see new people begin to follow Jesus. We want to mature disciples. We want to see those people who now started to follow Jesus grow in what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, become more like Jesus. And then we say we want to mobilize disciples, meaning not we want to send everyone out to different places, but mobilize you by sending you into the places that you are already living your life. In other words, we need to see ourselves as sent to our workplaces, to our families, to our friends, to our circles of influence. We are sent. We are sent by Jesus to go into those places and to make disciples. Well, this is what's happening to Saul. He's, he's going out. He's, he's wanting to see more people become disciples of Jesus. And he's growing in maturity. He's growing. He is increasing all the more in strength. And I think that this is a real encouragement to us. Because we oftentimes see people in the Bible, maybe people like Paul, you know, and, and we go, wow, I mean, just spiritual giant. I could never, I could never be there, you know. Or maybe there's people that you, that you look up to. You look up to their spiritual walk and you go, ah, I, I could never be there. But here's the reality. We all start, we all begin as infants in Christ. We are born again into the kingdom. And so we start out just as a baby. And we have to grow up into maturity. Nobody starts out as a Paul. We all have to begin as a Saul. We need to increase all the more in strength. The encouragement here is that None of the people of the Bible started out where we see them finishing. We all start in the same place. And so simply by encountering Jesus again and again and again and again, we can grow in our maturity. It was an encounter that started this whole thing, and we need to continue to encounter Him. And we encounter Him through His Word and through prayer. We, we need to make sure that we are encountering Jesus daily. So that requires that we spend some time in His Word and in prayer. That means we need to set aside time. And some people, they think that this book is boring. And I'll tell you why, why a lot of people think that. is because a lot of people have read the Bible like this. Uh, Alright, here today. Right? You would never pick up a novel and do that. Because you would have no clue what was going on. And you would be bored within minutes, right? Because you, if you don't understand what's happening, it's boring. It doesn't make sense. The Bible is really not confusing or boring. And the problem is that oftentimes we're not reading it correctly. So what I want to encourage you to do is pick a book of the Bible. If you're just starting out... Read Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, one of the four Gospels, and start at the beginning of that book. Don't flip to the middle of it, but read it from the beginning to the end. These, these books in the New Testament were letters, you know, and so you have to read it from beginning to end to understand it. And when you do that, you go, whoa, this is incredible. This is life-changing. Because as you encounter the Word, you're encountering Jesus. 
It's an amazing thing. But if we're going to grow in maturity, we need to continuously encounter Jesus. You are, I can promise you, this might be a big statement, you are not going to grow if you are not in the Word of God. You're just not. And, and, and there is no standing still in this whole walking with Jesus thing. There's, there's no standing still. The reason is because if you aren't growing, the, the pull, the pull, the current of the world around us will make us move the other way. We'll go backwards. So you're either moving forward, pressing onward with Jesus, growing, or you are moving backward. Period. And I've seen this. I mean, I, this has happened to me. This has happened to friends of mine for periods of time. You know, and, and I talk to them and it's like, man, they're, they don't even see it, but they're decreasing in their walk with Jesus. And, and, and you can just sense it. And I know it because I've, I've done it. Because I've gone through periods where I'm not in the Word and I'm just moving backward. So, it's a new year. It's a new year. Today's a new, a new week starts today, right? It's a it's a brand new day. You can start moving forward today. But I don't think that this is going to happen if you don't plan for it. I, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a big planner, but I just don't see any way that this is going to actually happen if you don't plan ahead. I love reading plans. They help us to stay on a track. And that way, you don't have to every day go, okay, what should I read? Or you finish a book and you can't decide what book to read next. So I like reading plans. And I've posted some on Facebook, on our Facebook website, page, whatever you call it. Um, but there's, there's apps on your phone. I mean, there are ways that you can get a reading plan where you follow along. And each day it just says, here's what you read today. There's ones that will take you through the whole Bible in a year. With, I mean, you read like 15 to 20 minutes a day. And you read the whole Bible. Um, there's reading plans that just take you through the New Testament. I mean, there's all kinds of reading plans. But I suggest that you get on one. If you want some help finding one, come talk to me. If you don't have good internet access, we'll print one off for you. You can just have a paper copy. But if you want to continue to mature, you need to be in the Word. The other thing is, if you want to be a leader among God's people, then you need to be a learner. There's an old saying, leaders are readers. And I think that there's a lot of truth to it because if you aren't learning, the people around you who are learning are going to pass you by. And you're no longer a leader if you aren't learning. Leaders are readers. And some of you may say, well, I hate reading. Well, I used to hate reading too. But you know what I found is that I said I hated it, but I didn't ever do it. And so I don't know why, you know, I just assumed that I hated it. One day I went, man, I, I really, this is right at the beginning of my walk with the Lord. I was like, I really need to be a reader. Because, you know, if I'm going to encounter God and it happens through His Word and it's all in print, then I need to read some, right? So I, I said, Lord, please give me a love of reading. And I remember I read a book. I think it was like a John Grisham book. I mean, I just... I just had a book. I found a book. I read it, and then I was like, wow, reading isn't so bad. I don't know why I hated it so much. 
And then I started reading the Bible, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. So some of you may say, you know, I, just, I don't like reading. Well, try it. Pray and ask God to give you a love for reading because, because leaders need to be learners. And the main way we learn is through reading. So the third way that, um, that I see that Jesus really transformed Saul is that because he encountered Jesus, he cared what others believed about Jesus. I guess this is our fourth Care what others believed about Jesus. It says, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. That's verse 29. See, the Hellenists were a branch of the early church who brought in Greek systems of thinking, Greek modes of thinking. So the culture was primarily Greek culture, and they brought that cultural thinking into their attempts at following Jesus. They became known as the Hellenists. Well, there's a real problem when you do this. When you try and bring in your cultural thinking and apply and, and put that on top of what the Bible says. It messes everything up. Well, Saul sees this and he goes, man, this is an issue. And so he disputes with them about it. He, he, he talks to them about it. And, and that's like not cool in our culture today. We, we have this motto, live and let live. Do not talk to people about what they believe. You keep to yourself. It's a private issue. But there's a real problem with that kind of thinking. Because if we actually believe this book, and if, if we put our faith in Jesus, and we believe that Jesus literally rescued us, from the penalty of our sin, which is eternal death. We really believe that. We believe that if, if, if you die apart from Christ, if you die in your sins, that you will spend eternity in hell. But that God has come and provided a way in Jesus to be rescued from that. If we don't tell people the truth, then it is the most hateful thing we could possibly do to them. And we, we believe, because it's what everybody says, we believe that it's more loving to just keep to yourself and don't talk to people about what they believe. Even if what they believe is a downright lie. That's another thing. I mean, talk about, talk about stuff that our culture tells us. Our culture is trying to tell us that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You can't even know what's really true. That what's true for one person is true for them. And what's true for another person is true for them. It's, it's every person has their own truth. So what they would say is that there's no such thing as an absolute, as absolute truth. It's all relative. And what you could say to that is, are you absolutely sure? Are you absolutely sure? Because... The statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth, is an absolute statement. I mean, it's contradictory. It's as contradictory as you can possibly get. And so, you cannot 
I mean, that person who says there's no such thing as absolute truth can't even be convinced of that. If they say, yes, I'm absolutely sure, then you say, well, then you believe in absolute truth. And if they say no, then you can just say, well, then I, how can I believe you? <laughs> I mean, you can't even be sure of it yourself. <laughs> but the fact is that there, there is absolute truth. I mean, this is one of the most mindless, crazy things that I've ever heard. It's, it's insanity, but it isn't new. This was going on 2,000 years ago. In different forms, Satan has the same lies and he just, he just spits them out in different forms. And, and so this isn't new. But the fact, no matter what people think, the facts are there is truth. And if there is truth, then there is lie. And so we have got to be a people who care what other people believe. Otherwise, what we're saying is, you know what? Jesus has saved me. He has rescued me from, from sin and from death. But I'm just going to let you die not knowing Him. That's not loving at all. That's not what Saul did. Saul said, man, Jesus is the Son of God. And if people are going to believe false stuff, then I've got to do something about it. And that means he even went to these Hellenists who said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they had brought in all this false teaching. Guys, we, we, cannot, we cannot add cultural thinking on top of the Bible. If you read your Bible and then you put it down and you pick up your horoscope, you, you've got to stop putting cultural thinking on top of this book. You believe it or you don't. If you believe it, then you've got to identify the lies that are out there in the world. You've got to throw them out. If you read this book and you put it down and then you watch TV and you believe the advice that some person who doesn't even know Jesus is giving you, it's not even based upon the Word. You've got to throw it out. We've got to come to this book it doesn't matter what junk we've come to Jesus with. We've got to leave it behind. We have got to start with a fresh, fresh start. Brand new start. I mean, throw this other junk out. It's false. Don't get what you believe from Facebook or by Googling a question. I mean, we have the source of all truth at our disposal. And if you don't have one or you don't have one that you can understand because it's a difficult translation, then pick one up in the back and take it home. I mean, you, you've got to go to this to find what's true. You've got to know what you believe before you can help others believe the right thing. But we've got to care what people think. If your family member or friend or spouse is confused about stuff, don't just live and let live. You've got to care. It matters what people believe. So, what about you? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And if you say you've had an encounter with Jesus, well, has your life become all about Jesus? Are you living your life for Him? And, and has your life changed radically? Are you being changed from the core? Are your desires changing? And, I mean, 
Are you proclaiming Jesus? And if, you, if you've had an encounter with Jesus and maybe you've been stagnant or actually being drawn away from God by the pull of the current because you're not growing, well, start fresh today. I mean, here's the thing that's amazing about grace. God is still waiting for you with open arms. And all it takes is for you to turn to Him. That's it. Say, I'm going to start new today. I'm going to make 2014 different. I'm going I'm to set new goals and priorities. And I'm going to make time to encounter Jesus regularly. I'm going to spend time with Him. And there is nothing more exciting than a life that is lived with constant encounters with Jesus. Don't believe the, the lie that Christianity is boring. There is nothing more adventurous, sometimes terrifying. <coughs> I mean, it isn't just, it's not a Thomas Kincaid painting. If you, I mean, it's just not. It, it's, it's dangerous to follow Jesus, and it is awesome. And it is worth it. It is incredible to follow Him. So if you have experienced this Jesus, then I want to encourage you to continue to encounter Him. Make room every day for an encounter with Jesus. Through His Word and through prayer. And if you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't yet been transformed by Him, if you haven't experienced Jesus, then today is your day. I mean, there, there is no guarantee of tomorrow, so today is your day. And so I would encourage you to just be honest with the Lord and say, you know, I want to follow you. I trust you. I want to put my confidence in you and, and begin to follow Him today. And guys, lastly, I just want to say, if we would do this, if we would all do this, then our community will not stay the same. Our families will not stay as they are. Our friends will not stay as they are. I mean, things will start to change for the better around us. Because that's what happens when Jesus is in control, and He is working through you. And we have to drop the idea that the transformation of, of our valley, of our community, is going to happen in this room. It's, it's not. I mean, some of it may happen here. People may come here and, and hear the gospel and believe and be changed. It's great. But the majority of transformation is going to take place as you take Jesus to people where they are. That's what I think this coming year is going to have in store for us. We, we've grown, we've more than doubled in 2013 in size. I'm, I'm really excited about that. But, but a lot of that growth has happened as people have just come here. I'm ready to see growth taking place as we are taking Jesus to them. Right where they are. Because they don't, they don't care to come here, maybe. So go to them. Proclaim Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done. Tell them what He's done in your life. 
And it's going to start changing everything around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us to this life. You don't leave us to do this life on our own. Do you empower us? You, you give us your spirit. As we trust you, Jesus, you, you lead us. And you do works through us. I pray that we would learn to rely on you, to, to have confidence in you every moment. I pray that you would help us to carve out space in our lives to encounter you every day. That by continually encountering you, our lives would be drastically changed. I pray that you would continue the work that you have started here. I pray that the name of Jesus would be made famous in this battle. That he would be on every lip. That every person would be talking about what Jesus is doing here. And that would spread like a wildfire to the towns around us, to our entire state, and to this entire region. We want to see you do a huge work. We want to plant more churches. We want to see more disciples. We want to, we want to see all of southern Vermont filled with disciples of Jesus. We ask you to do that. We ask you to start with us. Make us followers of Jesus who love you, who love your word, and are passionate about you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.